I want to jump into Genesis chapter 25. Right now, we are in the book of Genesis, a series on Genesis. We've been walking chapter by chapter. We've come to the final stretch. This is the final countdown. So these are these next five weeks, we're going to close out the book of Genesis leading up to Easter. Can you believe Easter is five weeks away? And uh, we're excited for all God's going to do. I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 25. I'm reading in verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of the red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Everybody say, he's hangry. You can relate to that. Some of you get hangry very quickly. One day working in the fields and he feels like he's about to die. Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Today I want to share a message with you entitled, Killing compromise. Killing compromise. I want you to look at your neighbor and tell him, we're about to kill it. Tell him, we're about to kill it. We are about to kill it. Well, hey, I am thankful to be with you today. Thanks to all of you for making the house of God, the presence of God, a priority in your life today. I believe God is going to deposit something into you if you haven't already received something in this place. But as I came to this text. I've actually preached this text before, but God kind of brought me to it in a little different way and told me that I, I needed to share with you about compromise. And I want to talk to you about the internal tension that we all carry. You see, there's this tension within us, this constant desire for more. Every one of us carries it as human beings. It is our appetite, and I'm not talking about food. We have an insatiable appetite for more, you and I. Our flesh just wants more. We have this appetite for more, more money, more stuff, more sex, more affirmation, more influence, more notoriety, more, more, more. And I know this because I've seen this in my own life. I know that you're dealing with this because I know that I deal with it. That something within me just wants more. I never have enough. You see how we manage our appetite is directly related to how we're living in this world and whether we choose to compromise or not. Because your appetite will cause you to compromise. I know that maybe some of you, maybe you're sitting here saying, I don't know if this really is me though, Caleb. What does this appetite do to us? Well, it's so powerful, it's so insatiable that we will satiate it at any cost, including our character. And so what I've seen in my life and I've seen in many people's lives, if we 
choose to compromise in all areas or some areas or many areas of our lives just to feed the beast. And you know who the beast is? The beast is you. That within every one of us, there is this battle taking place between our flesh man and our spirit man. The New Testament talks about it. And the, the flesh man, many of us have fed, and so he's become a beast. He's become stronger and stronger. And so what I found is that I have to decide. We must decide to kill compromise or compromise will kill us. Let me say it again. We must decide to kill compromise or compromise will kill us. I wonder how often we compromise in the areas of our lives that actually have a long-term impact. Long-term impact. You see, when I look at the church, I see so many people that don't feel peace. They don't feel joy. They don't feel purpose-filled. They don't feel like they're being used to the extent in which they should be used. And what I found is often they can't allow themselves to be used because they're compromising in so many areas of their lives. And when you live, when you live a life of compromise, you will not have peace. When you live a life of compromise, you will not have joy. You may have moments of it. In fact, as you satiate the beast, as you compromise for a temporary feeling, you have that momentary feeling of happiness, but it quickly wanes. And what's left behind is despair, anxiety, shame. And so what I want to do today, I know it's March 5th, and it's 10.30, 10.40 a.m., and you're thinking, Caleb, this is a little heavy for today. <laughs> but what I want to do is I want to give you a compromise-killing mentality. I want to talk to you about what that looks like. Because I think this is going to actually help you. It's practical. It's going to help you because what the Bible says is that we need to renew our minds. So we need to change our thinking. We need to change our mentality. We need a compromise-killing Black Mamba mentality, church. Come on. I just threw that in there. Didn't even say it in the 830 service. No, I want us to have a mentality that says, I'm going to kill compromise in my life because I don't want compromise to kill me. So what does a compromise killing mentality looks like? look like? First, I'm not seeking a temporary satisfaction. That's the mentality we got to have, church. I'm not living for temporary satisfaction in a world and a culture that will tell you to do whatever makes you feel happy in the moment. In a culture and, and as human beings that will long to satiate the, the feelings that we have with something temporary, something fleeting, something not lasting. I want you to think about Esau. The compromised caused Esau to sell what was most valuable for what felt good in the moment. I mean, think about it. He's out in the field one day. He comes home, and he's so hungry, he feels like he's going to die. 
I've been there. I got a high metabolism, church, so I understand his pain. But I think about him giving away a birthright and saying, I'm about to die. What use is this birthright? Give me this stew. And he sells what is most valuable to him for a temporary feeling, a temporary satisfaction. Because I guarantee you a few hours later, he's hungry again. And somebody going, what's the big deal about the birthright? Let me tell you. I got to give you the context of this birthright. You see, this was a different day in a Middle Eastern context, and there were three components of a birthright and what it represented. First, there was the financial side. Everybody say money. The oldest child in a Middle Eastern family in this day, they were blessed with and given the birthright. And the birthright meant that they would get twice to three times as much inheritance as all the other children. So with the birthright came greater financial blessing. That was the first part. The other siblings may have thought it was unfair. Didn't matter. This is how it was. The second component of the birthright is that they were given the authority over the rest of the family. What does that mean? They would become the judge. So whenever there was a family dispute, some of you know what that's like, Whenever there was family dysfunction, there was no vote. They gathered at your feet, the person who had the birthright, and you would rule. Here is what's going to happen. Here's what we're going to do. And no one could dispute it because you have the birthright. And then the final component was with a birthright, they believed there came this concept of the blessing of God. That if you had the birthright, God was almost forced to bless you. There was a belief that God would be with you in a way that he would not be with the rest of the family. Esau knew the weight of the birthright. And he traded it for a bowl of stew. This seems absurd now, doesn't it? Given the context, given what he's giving up, the amount of money, the amount of influence, the amount of blessing... And yet, he does it for a temporary satisfaction. And some are like, I would never do that, and yet we do it every day, don't we? We give up what matters most for temporary satisfactions in our lives. And often it's because we're not even thinking about the consequences. I want to say this to you. Many of you love some things that will never love you back. And so you live your life in a way that allows these things to dictate and determine the decisions that you make. And yet those things never love you back. Well, what things are you talking about? I mean, I'm going to go there because I can. Let me talk about what you're eating. We don't do this in church anymore. I mean, I love sugar just as much as the next guy. I'm a candy fiend. I love me some sweets, some ice cream. Chrissy will tell you. But I have to decide daily, am I going to choose a temporary satisfaction knowing what it could cost me in the long term? And how many of us are compromising, even with our health, for what feels good in the moment? 
Think about your relationships. I know we got a lot of single people in here, and you're still making those midnight calls. I'm not going to say what the call is called. <laughs> For what? A temporary satisfaction. Because it feels good in the moment, but the same shame follows it. The same dysfunction, the same lack of true connection continues to follow you. I think about the internet and pornography. I know I usually just come for the guys when it comes to this, but let's be real. In today's day and age, many women are struggling with, with this as well. Ladies and men, what is it? It's temporary satisfaction. But what does it leave you with? What does it leave you with after the fact? 1 Timothy 6.6 6 says this, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Can we learn to be content or are we always trying to feed the beast? You see, the beast is in you. And the beast wants more. More. This insatiable appetite for more. And we struggle. And we battle. Why? Because we have not learned to be content. Followers of Christ, I'm here to tell you, you have not learned to be content. I know this because I haven't. And I daily have to wrestle with God. Give me contentment so I don't live this life of comparison. Compromise killing mentality. It says I'm not seeking a temporary satisfaction. The second Mentality is, I'm aware of the enemy. You know, my brother, uh, he, he's 16 months younger than me. So I can relate to this story. These rival brothers, Jacob and Esau. I can relate, and as the oldest child, I, I always empathize with Esau. And, and I want to be real, because I think, you know, at times I saw my brother, because we were... Similar, we were close in age. We both played sports. Um, there, was, there was rivalry at times. And we would often look at each other as the enemy. And I remember uh, when I was about 11 years old, we were really into rollerblading and roller hockey. And we would play out in the street every day. And one day I announced to the family, hey, I'm headed out. I'm going to play some roller hockey. Uh, I'll be back in in a little bit. And I went and changed. And when I got out there, one of my rollerblades was missing. I thought, Where, where'd my rollerblade go? And I look out and there's my brother out in the street with one of my rollerblades on. And I said, bro, give me my rollerblade. And he said, come and get it. I said, all right. So I put the other rollerblade on and then I started to chase him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Here was the thing. My brother was an incredible one-footed rollerblader. A talent we didn't know he had till that moment. And I could not catch him. And I was so angry. And so he goes around the block, and I go back, and I hide in the garage. And I'm hiding behind a car, and out creeps my brother. He's wondering if I'm there. And the second he thinks I'm not, I jump out. And I throw him on the ground. And I just 
proceed to hit him over and over and over as hard as I could. I was not holding back. And uh, I'm just throwing haymakers, just bam, bam. I must have hit him like 12, 15 times. He's crying. And all of a sudden, I feel these two large hands pick me up from behind and throw me across the garage into the door going to the house. Bam. I hit the ground. I turn around and look, and there is Randy Cole, Pastor Randy, executive pastor of Project Church with fire in his eyes. And he walks up to me, picks me up, walks me into the house, and my room is the first room on the right, and he tosses me across the room. I fly into my bed, bam, hit the bed. He slams the door shut, and I'm in there still with one rollerblade on, <laughs> chilling, terrified, petrified, mortified. What is my dad going to do to me? And he comes back about 45 minutes later, opens the door and says, don't ever let me see you doing that to your brother again. I said, dad, you don't, but it, don't ever. And so I just quietly said, okay, I'm sorry. He said, go apologize to your brother. And he let me go. But man, I think about the enemies in our lives. How often we identify people others as enemies. And I want to be honest with you today that I think the church has lost track of the reality of the spiritual warfare that is happening all around us. Like I have to have a mindset that says I'm aware of the enemy because the enemy, the Bible tells us, is a lion seeking, roaring, and, and, and wanting to steal, kill, and destroy and devour you. There is a real spiritual world, and within that, there is spiritual warfare happening. Principalities and powers. And if you don't begin to identify that, you will miss out that you are often under spiritual attack, even in the temptation that you find yourself in. You see, there's a beast within you, but there's also a beast roaring around you. And he's trying to tempt you to compromise the areas of your life. Because he knows... He knows what your potential is. The enemy knows just like God knows. It's why some of you, the enemy tried to get you when you were still young. He tried to get you when you were still a child. Tried to get you by, by abusing you. Tried to get you by having you walk through something. Because he knew that God's hand was upon your life. And I want to tell you right now, the enemy sees God's hand on your life and he doesn't want to let you go. So you need to be aware that you are battling not only the flesh within you, but the spirit and the enemy at work around you. And that he is trying to tear you down, get you to compromise, attack you, and if you're not aware of it, then you won't be praying against it. You won't be putting on the full armor of God. As Ephesians, Ephesians 5 tells us to every single day. Why? Because you think it's just life. Things are just normal. Can I tell you, there's nothing normal about what's going on in the spirit realm. There is something supernatural. But the reason I'm telling you to be aware of the enemy is because I want you to know that your God is greater than any attack that the enemy could put on your life. His power in your life is greater than any attack. Here's what I've seen. 
the compromise will actually embolden the enemy in your life. What do you mean? Just look at the story of Jacob and Esau. Jacob gets the birthright from Esau. Fast forward a few years later, and in this culture, they also had something called a blessing that the father would often give to the oldest child. And so fast forward, now Jacob sees, if I got the birthright, I may as well go for the blessing too. And now he not only, and I'm not going to read it, not only dupes Esau out of the birthright, but now he also dupes him and his father out of the blessing. He gets both. I do not believe if Esau had been strong enough initially to resist the temptation to give up the birthright for a bowl of stew, that Jacob would have tried to go for the blessing too. He just wouldn't have. But whenever you compromise, it emboldens the enemy in your life. Whenever you compromise, it actually feeds the beast and the flesh within you to where that part of you is stronger. And I want my spirit man to be stronger than my flesh man. So that's why I got to feed the right man. What areas of your life have you emboldened the enemy? I want you to ask yourself that right now. What areas of your life have you continued to compromise that has emboldened the enemy to where he actually has his claws in you? He's got you in chains. You see, he'll try to get you to compromise financially. Just compromise here and there. Take advantage at work. Do things unethically. Try to get you to compromise sexually. What you're looking at, what you're viewing. Try to get you to con compromise relationally. That you won't have healthy relationships. You'll choose temporary satisfaction. He'll try to get you to compromise morally. He'll try to get you to compromise your convictions. The enemy will try to get you to compromise your boundaries. And anytime you give the enemy just a little room, a little foothold, it's going to embolden him to go for even more. And that's why we must change our mentality. I'm aware of an enemy that's trying to take me out because he sees the call of God on my life. He sees the legacy and the future that God has for me. Compromise, killing mentality. What else does it look like? It, it looks like a person who knows their identity. I know my identity. I think about Esau. What if Esau really knew who he was? If he had really embraced, I am the oldest. I have been chosen to have the birthright. I have been chosen to have the blessing. This is who I am. This is my rightful inheritance. But he trades it. And I think about how often the children of God do not embrace the inheritance they have from God. Because they don't believe that they are who God says they are. And maybe it's the failure of your past. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's the family you came from. But some of you are not stepping into your God-given inheritance as sons and daughters of God, of the Most High God. I'm a son and a daughter of the King, and with that comes an inheritance. I know who I am. I know who I belong to. There is a lack of security for many Christians today 
because they have not embraced who they belong to, whose they are. And so without security, you will always compromise. Think about the word security in and of itself. That something is secured, it's protected, it's locked down, it's locked up. You have a security if you embrace your God-given identity. But if you don't, I'm telling you, you will continually fall into compromise. I got to know who I am. I got to know whose I am. Some of you need to embrace this today in this house. This mentality. I know my identity. I am not defined by the failures of my past. I'm not defined by the dysfunction of my family. I'm not defined by what that person spoke over me, the lies they told about me. I'm not defined by anything than what God speaks over my life. I know my identity. And that identity gives me security to not compromise the convictions I have. I think about my kids and they embrace who they are as Caleb and Chrissy's sons and daughter. But not only that, they embrace that they're pastor's kids. They actually love it. They're like, Dad, we basically own the church. And I'm like, no, we don't. One day we will not be the pastors anymore and we do not own it. They're like, Dad, no, we own Blueprint Coffee. I'm like, no, we don't. I don't want my kids being entitled brats, but I want them confident in the identity that they are sons and daughters of the pastors of this house. I want them to walk in that and I want them to rejoice in that and I gotta, you know, change some perspectives a little bit here and there. Because we don't want arrogance. But I love that they feel like they own this place. Because when they come in here, they, they see it in a different way. I want them to know their identity. I want you to know your identity. And I wonder how many Christians have lost identity. Because of what happened to them. Because of what they did themselves. You see, the fourth compromise killing mentality is that I live for a legacy. If the keys will come back, I'm going to wrap up. I live for a legacy. You know, I don't know what your legacy is. I'll be honest. I know that not all of you have a great legacy in this room. The family you came from, the legacy is dysfunction. The legacy is abuse. The legacy is alcoholism or addiction. The legacy is anti-God. The legacy is broken families, divorce. I don't know what your legacy is. But I did want to tell you today that you have an opportunity every day to write a new one. You have an opportunity every day to write a new legacy. And so maybe you're like me, and I have a great legacy. I'm a third-generation pastor. My parents are still married after 42 years. My grandparents were married over 60 years. I have a great legacy. 
And you know what I say every day? I want to continue that legacy. Because I'm living for a legacy. But maybe you don't have a legacy that, that's one that you can celebrate. But you can start a new legacy. Here's all I want you to know. You got to live for a legacy. And some of you are living for the moment. And that's why you compromise. You're living for, for what feels good. And that's why you compromise. You're living a life based on shame and despair. And that's why you compromise. But I want you to have the mentality like, I, my life, I'm, I'm determining a new legacy today. Or I'm continuing a legacy. And that I think that way in all the decisions I make. I want that to be my mentality. Because when that's my mentality, I live different. You know, I was an intern in Washington State when I was 20 years old, 20 years ago. And uh, I, I was living up in Olympia, and I got to live with the pastor and their family, and I interned and learned under him. And one day, we would carpool some days to church, and looking back, I thought he was old, and now I realize, like, he was my age. And uh, it's awesome. But I would carpool with him. And one day, one day, uh, we were driving, we were talking about all the pastors who have fallen morally, that compromised, that committed adultery, that cheated and, and there were some very public stories about pastors who this had happened to in this day and we were talking about it and I said to him I said man you know what I know for me I would never do that and he was like Caleb don't you ever say that I said what I'm gonna say it louder for the people in the back I would never do that he said Caleb don't you ever say that what you should say is God help me to never do that because greater men of God than you and I have fallen. More godly men than you and I have fallen and compromised. So you need to wake up every morning and say, God help me to never do that. Why? Because I... I'm living for a legacy, but I can't build anything in my strength. Like I'm giving you some mentalities, but I want you to root it in your relationship with the most high God. Because if you try to not compromise in your strength, you will compromise. You might not compromise here and there. But when the temptation becomes more than you can bear, you'll give in. But I love that in the Word it tells us that, that in my weakness, that's when I'm made strong in Him. You see, when He comes alongside of me, the, the weak side of me is empowered by the Spirit side of me that comes from His Spirit living in me. And I'm able to resist and keep that legacy mentality. You know, as an older brother, I can really relate to Esau. I've always empathized with him, as I said to you earlier. But I was thinking about it this week, and I'm like, man, I, I wish I could go back in time and talk to Esau. I really do. I wish I could go tell him some things. I wish I could tell him, listen, and not very long, all of your descendants are going to end up as slaves in Egypt. 
And then after 400 years of slavery, God is going to tell Moses, one of your descendants, he's going to go to him, he's going to speak to him from a burning bush, and he's going to say to him, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Esau. That's what he's going to say if you hold on to your birthright. And then one of your descendants is going to be the Son of God himself, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And when they speak about this Savior from then until the end of time, they will say that he came from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Is that really something you want to trade for a bowl of stew? Is that really something you want to trade because you're hungry? Seriously? Is it worth it? Because if you do this, if you trade your birthright for that bull, he will say, I'm the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I know today, and you and I know today, that that's exactly what the Word of God says. Because of compromise. Because... He wasn't living for a legacy. But you see, I think that there's this danger that we can say, yeah, I'm just going to live for a legacy. I don't want that to be your only mentality. You see, the final mentality, a compromise killing mentality, is that I choose to repent. I choose to repent. And why did I want to end with this? I could have ended with legacy. I wanted to end with this because I wanted to encourage you that you will fall. So encouraging, Caleb. You will fail. You will compromise. You will fall short. But I'm thankful that the gospel is a gospel of second chances and third chances and fifth chances and 20th chances that no matter how often I mess up, there's a God who took and paid the price for all my failures so that I could still have a legacy. But it has to be about us saying, but I still choose to repent. Because what is repentance? Repentance is not just saying, God, forgive me and then keep on living the same way. Repentance is God forgive me, I'm going to turn and not do the same thing that I got caught up in today. I'm gonna turn and I'm gonna change my way of living. James 1.13 says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. That's the beast I was talking about within you. Here it is. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. What did I say at the beginning? We must decide to kill compromise or compromise will kill us. So today as I close, I want to ask you, are you living a life of compromise? Because if you are, I want to encourage you that today you say, I'm choosing 
to kill compromise because I don't want it to kill me. I don't want it to kill my future. I don't want it to kill my purpose. I don't want it to kill my legacy. No, God is calling us higher, church. Now, thankful his grace is sufficient for us. And when you fall and fail and when you compromise, which you will, he still forgives and covers you. But he's called us to live set apart. He's called us to live holy. He doesn't want us compromising tomorrow the same way we compromised last year. We should be, coming, be becoming more like him every day. And so I felt today that I was being led to call you higher. To call you to kill compromise in your life. Because I know you compromise because I know I do. But I want to repent. I choose repentance today. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we choose repentance today. We repent of our sin. We repent of our failure. We repent of our lust. We repent of, of our anger, of our hate. God, we, we repent of how many times we've allowed the beast within us to lead our decisions. We repent. And today we choose, we want to kill compromise. Because we know that when we live obedient to your word, in line with the call you have on us, that there's greater purpose, there's greater joy, there's greater hope, there's greater future. And that's what you want for your people.